Let's first uh, open in prayer. Father, uh, we know that your spirit is the spirit of truth. And we know that your spirit carried along human authors, preventing them from writing error. And through the prophets and the apostles, Lord, we thank you that you have given us a written word, the word that is from you, the word that is you speaking to us. We pray, Father, that you might give us ears to hear. As we look into your word, we pray that your word would instruct our hearts, pray that your word would motivate us, that your word, word would impart new life where needed, and also, Lord, that you would give us new motivation to study it and learn it and to read it and to make it a part of us and hide it in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, a seminary professor led a group of his fellow members of his local church to East Africa for a missions trip. And while they were there, they were so startled and really saddened as they began to discern and look about what was going on in this small little church uh, of these professing believers that they had come to help and assist and to try to encourage them and also uh, help to, that church to grow. Because when they came there, they noticed that the believers in that church had no qualms, no hesitation at all about lying and stealing. Even immorality didn't seem to bother them at all. And it wasn't just the average members, it was even the leaders who were practicing these kinds of things. They thought that these things were fine and acceptable. So obviously, there's rampant theological confusion among this church, these church and the, the members. There's doctrinal error, obviously, going on in this remote fellowship. The question is, why? Why was this going on in this little church? And it became obvious fairly quickly when they realized, the seminary professor and those who came in his church, they realized that it's because the church, nobody in the church had a Bible. The pastor did not have a Bible. The elders, the deacons did not have a Bible. The members, nobody has a Bible in the entire church. The pastor would preach the same sermon, same six sermons, over and over and over again. The six sermons were based on his own recollections of Bible stories he learned as a child. And so the only time these folks in this remote church in East Africa ever really heard the Word of God was when a missionary would come from over 100 miles away and would instruct them in the Word. And so the first thing that professor did as they visited there, once he uh, had opportunity, he acquired and obtained some copies of the Bible for every person in that church. And he took some time and taught them Bible studies for the remainder of his time there. Now whether you live, live in East Africa or if you live on the East Coast of the United States, Spiritual maturity will never take place without a thorough understanding of the Word of God. It's one thing to be clueless about spiritual truth because you don't own a copy of the Bible and there's none available to you. That's one thing. But it's another thing to be clueless and have a shelf full of them that are rarely ever read. I find it interesting that Jesus, in his 
prayer for his disciples right before he died on the cross is that he's talking to his father and he says, Lord, I'm praying for these disciples that they would be sanctified by means of the truth and the truth is the word of God. He's convinced that the word of God was absolutely essential for them if they're ever going to be made more and more like Christ. And so therefore it's not surprising that Paul, knowing that the word of God is truth, he writes to the believers there in Colossians saying, listen, the word of God is essential in Christian discipleship. He says, therefore, let the word of God dwell richly in you. It's not surprising that that's what's going on. So let's turn with now to Psalm 119 and notice further as we look into the word of God and a reflection on the wonders of the word and the power of the word and the, the blessings of having the word of God. 741 in your pew Bible I'm going to read the second stanza of Psalm 119. And again, just to remind you, this is an acrostic psalm, which means that each stanza, for example, the first eight verses uh, in the psalm start with the Hebrew letter Aleph, which is uh, the letter A. And then we have now this stanza, every beginning phrase of this particular poem begins with the letter B in Hebrew, Beit. All right, let's uh, follow along in verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I, might not, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Now this morning my objective is to build on last week's sermon, so if you weren't here, again, encourage you to listen online uh, on our website and find that sermon, or you can maybe find the CD back here. But we're looking at this theme of trying to encourage spiritual growth in the year ahead. And one of the ways that spiritual growth can be encouraged and, and uh, supported in our lives is to develop holy habits. And one holy habit that some of us have already developed, perhaps, is to begin to is to continue to read the word but to read the word with more careful regularity and make a pattern of it make a plan of it and really to to cover more territory than perhaps we have in the past or to do it in such a way that we're more engaged in our reading and therefore we're continuing to learn and study it and grow thereby and for some of us that means we may start a new pattern and therefore it's a big change for us it's something that we're trying to encourage you to do daily on a regular basis. And so again, last week I would encourage you to hear what we said about that. But we're looking now at the second stanza, and we're going to find in this stanza, I would like to point out four principles. Four principles on how to ensure that the Word of God will dwell in our lives and our hearts richly. It's one thing to read something and then totally forget it. It's something else to really make it a part of you. And I can make an honest confession to you. Uh, I say this with no sense of... Um, pride at all. I'm very ashamed of this, but I studied in seminary uh, Hebrew, 
And, and that language, I studied it with an earnest heart. I really wanted to understand it, and I put my energies into it. I passed the course. I don't remember what I got. But I, I'm sad to say it went in this ear. It has gone out that ear. I could read some Hebrew to you, but it's going to be very weak. If you need help, just talk to Micah. He can help you. He's been studying Hebrew. He's far better at it than I am. All right, let's look now at these four different principles here because we want the Word of God not just to be something that goes in one ear and out the other. So notice what the psalmist says. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? My question to you is, at what point in life should the process of learning the Word of God begin? When do you start? When you get to the point where reading is enjoyable to you and something that you find yourself with lots of leisure time on your hands and nothing else to do? Notice that the psalmist here is saying that it happens early in life. Why? Because you want the life-transforming influence of God's Word to be brought upon a person's thinking and their conscience early on in life. And so I would say the point number one is initiation. Initiation. The sooner the better. Don't wait till your eyes begin to fail and the little tiny print you can't read anymore and you're having a hard time even reading the Word. Do it when you're young. The sooner the better. Suppose you were to take a hike in a remote area. I mean, you're not around any civilization. And you don't have reception on your phone, if that's how remote it is. There's no coverage with your phone. There's no GPS available to you. And you're out and you're making this hike. Now, would it be better if someone presented you with a map before you went on this hike? Or would, it be, would you prefer that after the journey and after you've wandered for hours and hours and you've encountered all these dangerous conditions which could have been avoided if you'd had a map if you'd known that this was a dead end or there's a dangerous lake over here or a river that you don't want to cross over there could have been avoided if someone had given you directions early on which would you rather have my point here in this text i think the psalmist is trying to say listen take heed to the word of god while you're young at the beginning of your life's journey. Now, I know I'm talking to some people who we started our life journey a while ago, I realize. But I'm trying to encourage us to encourage people around us to be people who say, listen, have you been reading the Word recently? Apply the truths of the Scriptures to your life that you might be warned early on about the dangers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that you might also learn the glories of of Jesus Christ, and to learn once again and again and again the gracious provisions of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful that early on in my life, I was taught the word, I heard the word, I was encouraged to read the word, I heard the word read to me in my home, and uh, that doesn't mean I followed it all very carefully, not at all, but boy, I'm telling you, I am thankful for a conscience that was shaped by the word. It was formative in my life. It was gave me formative instruction. It helped me realize I am not in the center of the world. I learned that early on in life. I, I wish you could have been with me uh, overhearing a conversation yesterday. It was absolutely fascinating in its own ironic way. We're standing outside uh, at our neighbor's house, next door neighbor's house, a fellow who uh, at one time worshipped with us, uh, unfortunately no longer is here and he's I don't see evidence of faith in his life but anyway we've been witnessing to him for years he's been in and out of trouble 
He drives his motorcycle and revs it up at times when we were trying to sleep, you know, things like that. He's one of those neighbors. Anyway, we're taking him a little treat that my wife had made, some homemade goodies. I'm trying to touch base with our neighbors that we never talk to. And so we're talking to him, and he says, yeah, I got my ne- nephew over here, and, and, his, and, 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 uh, and no one is instructing this kid. This kid's six years old, and he does whatever he wants. If he doesn't want to do something, he just starts screaming, and everybody gives him whatever he wants. Now, this is a guy who's been in and out of jail telling me what I know to be true, and that is what? Teach a child to obey his parents, and parents need to be parents. And here he is saying, you know, somebody needs to do something about this kid. This kid's on the wrong track in life. I'm thinking, this is so ironic. I love this. You know, it's like even he understands the benefit of being taught early on in life that you're not the center of the world, that you need to submit to those in authority over you. And again, I would just say the Bible provides us so much loving warnings. And that's what I think they are. My parents gave me many of them, and I'm sure you've received them over the years. Warning us against what? Illicit sexual desires and behavior, greed idolatry, alcohol abuse, materialism, pride, a host of many other forms of spiritual dangerous pitfalls in the path of life. No wonder that's why Paul, instructing Timothy, his young protege behind him, he says to listen here, Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee youthful lusts or desires. Now, I don't think he's just merely talking about sexual lust that's part of it perhaps but i think more of what he's saying there is listen be careful and don't give in to the desires that you have of jealousy toward other people of the desire for power to be self-autonomous and to be argumentative and have you think you know it all kind of spirit he's saying avoid those things run away from that kind of stuff it'll ruin you as a minister of jesus christ And let me tell you something, I'm convinced as you read the Bible, you're going to find the Bible does relate quite clearly to everyday life. And one of the good habits I developed uh, years and years and years ago, I'm not doing it right now, but it was a very good thing I did early on, is to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. You talk about practical instruction for everyday life. I mean, it's just jam full. And, uh, and so, he, so anybody who looks for any kind of instruction for anyone young learning to know what's, what's a danger, you read the Proverbs and you're going to find all kinds of insights into how God is helping us avoid falling into the pit, falling into danger, falling into the mess in our lives. And parents, I would just have a parenthetical thought here for all of us who are parents and we have some children around us. We would be wise, wouldn't we, to learn first the word ourselves and that we would apply ourselves to understand it well enough at least to be able to show it to our children and say, you know, I was reading this the other day. Here's a good, helpful thing to be aware of and showing the gospel to our children again and again of how wonderful Christ is, how great, what a hero he really is. He never lets us down. Getting our children to listen to us before their habits have become lifelong established patterns. Here's a good quote. A small oak seedling can be straightened and redirected while it is small, but when it is full grown, it resists all attempts to bend it and redirect it. And so again, 
the Word of God, bringing it to bear upon us when we're young. It is indeed so important. Second point I want to make in this uh, principles from Psalm 119, the second stanza, internalization, verses 11 and verses 15. I will meditate on your precepts, verse 15, verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart. Internalization, storing up the word of God in our minds. Now, according to Ephesians 6, when you read about the armor of God that we're to take up, engage in spiritual battle, he only gives one offensive piece of armor. You know what that is? The sword of the Spirit. Everything else is defensive, right? Breastplate, the helmet, the shoes, the whatever. And so here the Word of God is an essential component of the armor to be used in spiritual warfare. It needs to be accessible in all situations at all times. I mean, a soldier who takes his sword and lays it down here and meanders on over there, and here comes the enemy. What's he got to work with here? All he can do is hold up a shield. He's only defense. And so the influence of the Word of God is going to be reduced if we cannot recall the truth and be able to have the Word of God available to our minds when we need it in our normal daily activities. And that's why Jeremiah, when he was told truth by God and God was instructing him. Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah 15, 16. You might want to write this one down. Listen to what he said. Your words were found and I ate them. You say, well, that's a strange thing to say. Eating the words? Yeah, what's he saying? I digested them. I took them in and I made them a part of who I am. I have them hidden deep inside of me. I, your words were found, I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and a delight to my heart. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about memorizing the word. Memorizing the word. Letter A under point two. Now all of us learn and retain bits of information that are, we consider valuable and important. Most of us know how many would you say, honestly, know your Social Security number? Somebody asked you, you could rattle that off. Okay, look at that. Very good. Um, how about a couple of passwords? You know a couple of passwords? I've had to write a lot of my phone because they keep telling you can't use the same ones over and over. Or your PIN number. Or for some of us, it's statistics. Who's in first place in the NHL? Who's in first place in the NBA? Who knows what you know, this particular player and how his, his records are going. Some people know that stuff off the top of their head. It's amazing how much they know. We consider that information so valuable that we, what, store it up in our minds. Now, doesn't it make sense to do the same thing with God's Word? And I've given you here, and I'm not going to take the time. I only did this to save time because I realized I'm not going to be able to get through all these things. I have a whole sermon with these six points right here under uh, letter A, memorizing the word, but I've given you six reasons why there are benefits and, and it, it will actually help you if you memorize the word of God. Perhaps you've noticed that in our bulletin, or maybe you haven't noticed because we're not doing as much as we used to, but in our bulletin we list a verse of scripture that we're trying to memorize for the month. This particular month it's Galatians 2.20 on the back of your bulletin. Now, I'm just throwing that out. These are just verses that we think are helpful to know, but you might want to consider memorizing Scripture on a regular basis. 
be working on verses. You have to repeat them. You have to keep reviewing them. You have to go over them again and again to where you can get to the point where you know, I've got that thing down. Sometimes they say it's 30 days in a row. If you can say and repeat from memory, word perfect, it's yours for life. Or until you begin to lose, you know, your ability to recall things, unfortunately, which happens when you turn 58 and following. That happens to be my age. Sorry. But it'll help find some way to do it, whether it's on cards or some app you can use on your phone, but find ways in which you can begin to memorize Scripture. Memorize it word perfect and always learn the address of that verse in saying it before and afterwards so that you know where the verse is found. Because again, people don't want to hear you rattle something off if you can't show them where it is and say, there it is. It's not just me. This is what it says right here in the Scriptures. And you can show it to them. And you need to know where it is so you can know the context and what's going on before and after it. And so it might be helpful to find someone to help you do that. Maybe you can sit down with somebody and say, let's say our verses together. How are we doing? And accountability can really be helpful. Another area that might help you is to say, I have a particular area in my life where I'm struggling with an ongoing sin. I know it's a sin. It's a problem. It, it continues on. You may want to take and find five to ten verses that deal with that sin and the issue of temptation, and memorize verses to help you begin to fight against that particular way of thinking, those desires, and the impulses that you're experiencing. So find a strategy and continue to do it. You will find it to be quite helpful. Now, building on top of this idea of memorizing is the next component of this idea of internalization, and that is meditation. So there's memorization. It's the first thing you do. Then there's uh, I'm sorry, memorization and then meditation. It's the idea, again, of internalizing God's Word, and it's a byproduct once we've memorized the Word. Once we know the Word in our hearts, we can think about it at any time. You don't have to sit there and have your phone on or your pad uh, there uh, so that you can look at it. You don't have to have your Bible in front of you. You've got it right here. And I've told you many a time, there have been times when I rarely can't sleep at night, and I'm usually worried and upset about something, I'll start saying Isaiah 41.10 in my head. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Boy, I can say that to myself again and again and again until I calm myself down. And so knowing Scripture means you can reflect upon it, you can contemplate it, you can review it wherever you are and whatever situation you're in, even while you're driving. Even when you're in a contentious discussion with somebody. If you know the Word, then you can bring the Word up on the screen of your mind. And I, again, people have compared this idea of meditation to the process of, and I hate to say this because it does seem a little disgusting, but it is helpful to think in this way, rumination for a cow, i.e., another way of saying chewing the cud for a cow. Now, without going into too many details, you need to understand that cows have several stomachs, and the way in which they process their digestion, uh, the process of digestion for a cow involves several processes of chewing their food, storing it in the rumen, and then they bring that food back up and they'll chew it some more and chew it some more, repeat the process till it's ready to go in the second and third stomachs. Now, I'm not here to give you a lesson on bovine digestion. The point here is what? I'm trying to help us think about how do I chew on the word? How do I take something and just keep thinking about it? And one thing I would suggest to you is, is to take a verse and focus on a phrase or two. I'll show you. I'll give you an example. Take your bulletin 
And find the verse in the back there, Galatians 2.20. And if I were to meditate on this verse, I, you could, there's several ways you could do this. You could start off with the I. Paul speaking, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I, Mark Musser, I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm going to think about that. I, not somebody else. I'm talking about me. Is that true of me? Or you could say, how about the, the prepositions? I've been crucified with Christ. And then he goes on to say, Christ lives in me. Think about that. Christ lives in me. He deigns to live in me. So you ponder that. Think about that for a little while. Well, what difference would that make if Christ, if you really believe that he lived in you? That means he goes with you wherever you are. He's with you in whatever situation you're facing. Um, he goes on to talk about Christ who loved me, delivered himself up for me. Ponder that for a while. Chew on that for a little while. He loved me. And so this is the kind of thing we talk about when we're saying meditation is to take it and slow down in your thoughts about what the text says and take it phrase by phrase. Think about it. Say it over and over in your mind. Think about what it means, the significance of it, other things that may teach similar kinds of things. What a difference that is in contrast, this kind of Christian meditation, to actually chew on the word and to think about it slowly and with great careful thought is so different than Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is trying to empty your mind, to stop thinking about anything, to have no truth in your mind. That's the worst thing you can do, to empty your mind. Christian meditation is to promote the careful contemplation of truth to help us understand and follow God and His ways. A lot more I could say about that. I'm going to move on to point number three. By God's grace, we need help for initiation to get started young. Then we need the idea of internalization. And thirdly, illumination, verse 12. Illumination, verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Illumination. Lord, help me make sense of your word. See, the Bible, we believe, is clear in its essential teaching. And the Reformers came up with a phrase, maybe you've never heard this phrase, or a phrase of, of a particular term you think is too confusing. Perspicuity is the name of the word. It means the clarity of the scriptures. It's clear in its basic teaching. Even a child could understand the basic truths of the Bible. But we know that the Bible cannot be understood apart from the help of the author of God himself. And so the psalmist says, Lord, teach me your statutes. And that, I think, is helpful to realize that when we're reading the word, keep praying. There's dialogue going on here. God's saying something in the word, and you're saying, Lord, help me. Help me understand what this means. It's a spiritual book. It's revealing to us God's mind, his thoughts, his deeds. And every member of the human race needs the Spirit of God to help us understand the Scriptures. Now hold your finger there, if you would, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, second chapter of 1 Corinthians, page 1357 in your pew Bible. Now, if you might be here this morning and you say, well, I read the Bible and it is boring, it is irrelevant, it is something I can't make any sense of, it is something that I've stopped reading long ago because I felt like it just seems like ancient words to talk about something that's 
so old and uh, has nothing to do with me, and therefore I find no interest in it. That may be an indication of where your heart is. It may it be an indication that you need to have uh, God do a radical change in you as a reader. And look what I'm talking about here in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given us by God. So the spirit of God helps us to know spiritual things. And he says, a natural man, that is an unregenerate person, person who's not a Christian, does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He thinks that they are worthless and not, no, no value. And notice the next phrase. And he cannot understand them. Why? Because these things are spiritually appraised. That is, if you're an unbeliever, you're not going to be able to understand the rich insights into the Word of God. You need to be on the same page with God. You need to be saying, I am a person who is in agreement with you, and the Spirit of God has already made me alive in Christ, and therefore I am able to come and read and gain insights into the Word. Because why? I'm now in the family of God. So we need the Spirit of God to help us. And we need those new hearts. We need ears to hear and eyes to see. And with the new heart comes the removal of the scales on our spiritual eyes. And when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we gain a new heart. And that is indeed a heart in which, upon which God, by His Spirit, begins to write the Scripture so that we begin to hide the Word in our hearts. We begin to take it to ourselves and say, that's something I need to apply to myself. Thank you, God, that's true of me. Thank you that I'm learning that about you. And so it becomes something that really impacts us deeply on the inside. I would say one of the most important requirements of being taught by God from his word is to have a heart attitude that treasures God above all else. Look at verse 14 of this second stanza in Psalm 119. I'm back to Psalm 119, verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Some people are more excited about winning the lottery than they are about knowing God, enjoying the treasures of Christ, delighting their hearts in the huge riches of blessings that are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people say, oh, I'd rather have all these, I'd rather have, you know, $5,000 income the rest of my life, blah, 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 which will ruin you, most likely, if that's what you're greedy for, longing for, that greed will eat you alive, and it does, many people who win, versus what? A person says, no, I treasure God, and what he says to me, I see is so valuable. It's a treasure to me that he's revealed these things to me makes all the difference in the world about how you're how you're reading the word and how well you'll understand it and so here's a prayer i'd like you to write down maybe in your notes i came across a, a, a seminary professor bruce ware he had a very helpful little prayer he suggests that you don't have to pray this word perfect every time and just this is the kind of prayer you would pray as you read the word you'd say lord in your mercy and kindness open your word to me and open me to your word. That is what? Make me teachable. 
Make me a person who submits to the Word and does what the Word says so that I'm not going to sit in judgment on the Word. The Word's going to come and help me learn where I need to change and teach me where I need to grow. Lord, in your mercy and kindness, open your Word to me and open me to your Word. That's a great prayer. All right, uh, I'm going to move to number four. Um, only because of time. Each one of these could have been a sermon. But anyway, verse 13 of the second stanza of Psalm 119. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. This is the word I call impartation. And by that I mean when you learn something and you've gained some insight from the Word, you're sharing it with other people around you. You're imparting it to others. I've heard it said many times, I believe it's true in my own experience, teachers get more out of their classes than their students. Right? Why? Because the teacher's already thought about the material, has already been thinking and studying it, has organized his thoughts or her thoughts together before the students come, and then when they lecture, they're hearing it again. They're going over those same truths again. And uh, the topic is, again, something that's reinforced. It's material that they've already been. And the student is just now hearing it for the first time. So therefore, the teacher is going to get much more out of that class than the students do. The same is true in the spiritual realm. See, God opens our eyes to a truth, and we will find that truth is going to be reinforced. That truth is going to be better retained in our lives if we can take that truth and then share it with somebody else. Say, Let me just share with you something I saw the other day in the text. This was fascinating to me. And then you share it with somebody else. When you do that, what happens? You're not just treasuring up the gems of what you're learning yourself, but you're sharing it with those around you. And what happens? As he says in Colossians 3.16, Paul says this, let or make sure that the word of Christ dwells in you richly. And then what does he say? Teaching one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's not just meant to be something that we gain and hang on to ourselves. I tell you, now share it with other people around me. And that helps me have it reinforced. And I really know that I've learned it well. I'm just curious, what, what have you been learning in the word of God recently? I've started at the beginning, creation. Wow, it's fascinating to read the creation account again and again and to go back and say, there's order going on here. There is thoughtful, creative process. There is a sense of dignity and amazing value that God puts on the human, the human beings that he creates in his own image. It's amazing to see that contrasted with what is being taught as truth in our secular culture today. What do you store up in your mind? What are you contemplating? about Jesus Christ? Are you seeing the one theme of the scriptures that is God, what God is doing, who God is, and what he's doing and what he has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You don't need to be a formally trained teacher to impart to other people what you've learned from your reflection on the Bible. What you need is a heart that says, I really care about the people around me, and I care deeply about God and making sure his truth is being known and treasured by other people so that they'll treasure God too. And so whether it's an unsaved person and you've already hidden a, word, a verse in your mind and you can quote that scripture verbatim and confidently share that with another guy, you're ready to do that. Or you can say, listen, I was just reading the other day. This is a fascinating uh, piece of scripture. Let me share this with you. Think about it. Read it on your own. It's an amazing process by which 
as we're reading the word, we're hearing God speak to us, and then we speak to him, asking him for help, it's all this dialogue, it's relationship, it's revelation, it's life-changing. I hope and pray the word of God is changing your heart and mine as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the real treasure in all this. We know the treasure really is you. <laughs> we're not just talking about words on a page, Lord. We're talking about words that have been recorded so that we might know you, the true and living God. And so, Father, I pray that the living Word of God would have its mighty impact upon our hearts of all of us here. And there might be some of us here, Lord, who are sitting and going through the motions and we don't really ever read the Word because it's become something that we just don't get anything out of, never have. But we know we should be reading the Word, and yet, Lord, they, we, perhaps we need a new heart. I pray you would impart a new heart to those who are here today who have never really treasured Christ, who have never become just absorbed with Christ and fascinated and can't get enough of him. Lord, I pray that you would work your work of regeneration in any heart here today who needs to no longer be coming to the word in a natural state, but to come with the Spirit's help, celebrating rejoicing in Christ in a new and profound way. Lord, for many of us, we have been reading the Word, but it becomes dull, it can become routine, it can become something, Lord, that goes in one ear and out the other. I pray that as we incorporate some or all of these principles, Lord, you would begin to transform us and that our relationship with you will deepen and we will really see significant growth in our own lives, Lord, and the people around us, and that you would use us as people of the Word, not so that we can be arrogantly thinking, oh, we know so much and they don't know anything. Lord, but, but people might, might be caught up in how wonderful and how great Christ is and what a wonderful salvation we have in him and what an awesome God you are and learn to treasure you and appreciate you more than all the wealth in Fort Knox. Lord, we pray your word would become precious to us and something that we treasure in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>